The views expressed on this show by guests and the host on issues outside of the 9-11 controlled demolition evidence are the opinions of those individuals alone and do not necessarily reflect those of our contestant engineers for 9-11 Truth. Welcome to 9-11 Freefall. I am the host, Andy Steele. Today we're joined by Sheila Casey. Sheila is an award-winning advertising copywriter who has written copy for major ad agencies, including Gray Global and Ogilvy, and Fortune 500 clients such as Disney, Coors, AOL, Microsoft, and Capital One. As a journalist, she has been published by Reuters, Chicago Sun-Times, and the Denver Post. She woke up to the truth about 9-11 in 2007 and since then has been researching and writing about false flag terrorism and other government deception. That's when a lot of people woke up around that time. Me as well. So, Sheila, great to finally have you here on 9-11 Freefall. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Good to be here. So, uh, please, tell us your story. Tell us how you woke up to 9-11 and the evidence that we were lied to about what really happened on that day. Okay. Uh, well, I had never been somebody who was all that interested in politics. I think I had concluded, like many people do, that the um, the personalities in office change, but nothing really seems to change in our lives. And um, so I kind of ignored that most of my life. But my first big wake-up was in March of '03 when the U.S. bombed Baghdad. And I watched the shock and awe campaign on TV and was just utterly repulsed by the news anchors who were practically cheering every explosion um, seemingly oblivious to the innocent lives that were being lost. I knew there was no conceivable justification for it and that something was very, very wrong with us invading and occupying a country that had never harmed us and didn't even have the ability to harm us. And there were other things upsetting me at that time, the torture at Guantanamo Bay and illegal wiretapping. I blamed the Bush administration and still being woefully uninformed, I believed that the answer lay in getting a Democrat majority in the House and Senate. I still believed them to be the good guys. In 2006, I got involved in a get-out-the-vote drive with Move On, and I was there when Jim Webb made his victory speech, having been elected to the Senate in Virginia. That gave the Dems a majority in both houses. And I thought this was our answer. I remember walking away, really believing that now things would change. But of course, nothing changed. I started a blog, and for the next eight months, I spent all day every day reading and writing about politics. I read from a wide variety of sources, both mainstream and alternative, and I considered myself extremely well-informed. This was all I did every day. I did have Glenn Greenwald linked to me a couple of times, and that gave my readership a boost up to about 15,000 hits a day, as some of his readers started also reading my blog. And then um, in August of 07, I ended up on the website for Paul Craig Roberts and I read the words, 9-11 didn't happen the way we were told. And that stopped me in my tracks. And I went that day to the library to check out the book that he recommended, A New Pearl Harbor by David Ray Griffin. 
Now, I had thought from the beginning that it looked really strange how those towers came down. I thought, that's really weird. You know, they were hit at, what, think, the 92nd floor or the 101st floor, and and yet they crumble into dust all the way to the sidewalk? Like, what caused that to happen? I remember thinking, that's really odd. But then I had watched a Nova documentary and maybe... 02 or 03 called Why the Towers Fell. Uh, and they trotted out one scientist after another, a variety of architects and engineers, trying to convince us that there were good reasons for the towers to fall like that. And they, they were kind of blinding us with science. Um, I'm somebody who's always had more of a liberal arts kind of background, and I remember getting up and turning off the TV and thinking, well, it doesn't make much sense to me, but they couldn't possibly get all these people to lie about it, could they? And um, at that point, I kind of set it aside and didn't think a whole lot more about it. So here we are in 07, and I got the book and went home and read that book cover to cover over two days. And uh, everything else went, got set aside, and I finished the book and knew beyond a shadow of doubt that the story we were told about 9-11 was a complete lie. And for about the next week, I was up until about the middle of the night every night just madly researching and watching videos and seeing the, for the first time the collapse of Building 7 and feeling that my jaw had just dropped, You know, just trying to take in this complete turnaround of my view of reality that things were not what I had believed them to be, and that all these sources that I had been reading for all these months, considering myself to be so well-informed, none of these sources had clued me in as to what was really going on. And it was just, it was mind-boggling to me. It was also a really lonely feeling. I didn't know a single other truther. I had just woken up on my own. And when I tried to tell my friends and neighbors about it, I discovered that they really weren't interested. I had one neighbor who I saw every day, who I, I loaned her the book, and she gave it back to me saying she'd read half of it, and that it was just too upsetting. She just she said, I wouldn't want to know even if it was true. And uh, I, I stopped writing my blog at that point. I was feeling like, I really have nothing more to say. i got to get some things figured out here first before I have anything more that I need to write. And I, I, learned, I learned soon that there was a 9-11 truth group in D.C. near, near me, uh, but it took me until January of 08, almost you know, what, five or six months, to get up the courage to attend a meeting. You know, I had heard all the propaganda about conspiracy theorists, and I was expecting to meet some really odd people with greasy comb-overs and maybe mental illness. You know, the CIA has done a pretty good job for about 50 years convincing us that conspiracy theorists are people living on the borderline of society and with him, who have a lot of serious emotional problems. And I was I was baffled by this. I thought, well, I've figured this all out, and I'm not a weirdo. And so I finally got, I finally went there. And then I discovered I had met some of the best people on the planet. These were the smartest, bravest, most caring people I'd ever met. These were people who were really putting themselves on the line to try to change the future of humanity, to try to change the future of, of our world. Um, they were also putting out a monthly newspaper called the Rock Creek Free Press, and um, I quickly got involved in that. It was right up my alley, was researching and writing articles about topics that were ignored by the mainstream media. I wrote about uh, health topics, wrote about 9-11, wrote about what happened at the Pentagon, um, 
and uh, wrote about torture and various, you know, lots of things that just were being ignored by the mainstream. And we had subscribers in 13 countries. Uh, we mailed the newspaper. It was a physical hard copy. And we distributed the paper for free here in the D.C., Virginia, and Maryland area. So it took a lot of us to, to do it. You know, we, and it was a real bonding experience for our entire, our entire group because we got together two weekends a month, one weekend to edit the paper and put it together, and um, one weekend where we'd have the folding party where we actually folded, stamped, and um, put labels on all the papers, and then um, those got taken to the post office, and then we had others that we distributed for free in boxes that were at metro areas all over. Um, and I learned a lot during that period. I, I often think that once I got high-speed Internet in '03, that I learned more maybe in that next 10 years than I had in my entire previous life because now I was able to self-direct my learning as opposed to having it fed to me simply by media outlets who have an agenda for me to believe something that's not necessarily true. So one thing I that occurred to me was that it was just incredible to think that I did that amount of reading, I did that amount of political investigation and still didn't know until I happened to run across the right source, which was Paul Craig Roberts. And I'm sure the same thing applies to many of the people that we meet in our daily lives. They may do an incredible amount of reading. They may think, consider themselves extremely well-informed and and then they're going to be resentful or uh, resistant if we try to tell them there may be things that they haven't considered yet, there may be things that they haven't looked into because they believe that they have. They they consider themselves well informed, and it takes it takes someone with some courage and an open mind to to be able to say, yeah, I was wrong. I was wrong, and there's some things I still need to learn. That's right. It's important to keep an open mind, and for a lot of people, they just don't know what they don't know. If something's not introduced to them, it's like trying to imagine a color that you've never seen before. It's actually impossible to do that, like something that's not a combination of other colors, but just a new color. Because it doesn't exist. It's impossible. Can't... Yeah, you can't do it. It's, it's, it's like a cra- you'll make yourself crazy trying to. For people, that waking up to something like this is like that in some ways. You know, this whole idea of false flag terror, a government lying about something this big, just doesn't compute. I know it didn't for me uh, when I first heard about this. I didn't get confronted with the evidence at first. I just heard about the notion and kind of dismissed it as being ridiculous until I came across this stuff quite by accident. So I love hearing about the Rock Creek Free Press. First of all, it's a cool name for a newspaper. And uh, from... What I've seen of it, you guys did a lot of good work, and you're describing how you worked here, and you had the folding parties, and you got all together, and you kind of broke it up into different days in which you do different tasks. I want to hear a little bit more about this, because from what I see with what's going on on the Internet, they're trying to turn it into like a, uh, like a cable box almost, you know, limit the ability of ordinary people to get information out. Just the other day I was looking for something that I was mourning the loss of, you know, a video that had been posted 11 years ago. I found it. I'm not going to tell anybody publicly how I found it, but I did find it, but it, it was a trial to get it. So they are cutting people off from the public, so we may have to see a return to print press. How viable is it for other people to do the same thing across the United States? 
Well, the the reason why we ultimately had to stop publication, which happened in we published our last issue in September of 2011, um, was because it just wasn't uh, financially feasible. We ran a few ads, uh, but we certainly weren't going to accept any advertising from anyone who was going to try to tell us what to print. And really, we were able to publish because of the um, the benevolence of Matt and Elaine Sullivan, who had started the paper, and I think they were putting about $1,000 a month of their own money into keeping it going. So when you're publishing a physical newspaper, you know, there are hard physical costs for paper, for ink, for um, and stamps. So it's... Um, I, I I think it is feasible, and I think we could have we could have kept going. We maybe should have worked harder to try to find um, financing to to keep it going. Um, but it you know it does take some money. So it you know if people have the money, yeah, there's no reason you can't do it. Right. If you get some good donors, maybe people could look into it as being a nonprofit of some sort if you had an angle. But it may come to a time where we have to go back to these methods. I don't think that those methods are all that bad because, again, being so reliant on the Internet can cut it off from us at any time. Maybe there should be some kind of alternative Internet for folks like us and people who want to get real information something they can't control. I don't know. But we got to be looking into these alternatives. So I will pick the brains of anybody who has some experience out there in media, because we cannot let this die. Me trying to find this video the other day really drove that home, because it used to be pretty easy to find. So, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing you're not a big fan of the mainstream media. Most people in the 9-11 Truth Movement aren't. Do you think it can survive in the state that it's in right now? I mean, I am just amazed. When I turn on the television and I look at Anderson Cooper or any of these clowns, for the most part, you know, with some very, very rare exceptions... Uh, they just seem like completely hollow cardboard cutouts, just kind of caricatures of people, not real people. And I wonder, how can anybody even listen to these folks? It just sounds so scripted and so fake. I mean, do people really believe what they're telling you? I guess some people do. But uh, but I don't know. Do you think it can go on in the state that it's in right now with everybody kind of realizing that it's just propaganda? I do think that with uh, with everything that's been going on over the past year, that many people are getting more suspicious about the mainstream media, and um, I'd like to see them die entirely, of course. But from some people just don't know any better. They don't know what else to look at. Like me in those months when I was uh, blogging and considered myself so well-informed. Like you said, you don't know what you don't know, and... Um, I, I certainly hope that it dies, and I, I think there are things, of, pieces of information that we can get out there that can help it to die. Uh, if more people knew about Operation Mockingbird, which was started by the CIA back in the 40s as a way of placing their own people um, into news outlets and thereby controlling the narrative, and if more people knew about the Church Commission from the 1970s, uh, which did a investigation into what extent the CIA was controlling the media and got confessions from um, heads of the CIA about how they did have their own people placed in positions to control what was put into newspapers, magazines, motion pictures. And all of that came out, and it still exists. I mean, I think it's still on YouTube. I'm not sure. Maybe they've taken it down by now, but um, it's been it's been put out there. It's just that 
it gets buried unless people know to look for it. And it's when you come right down to it, it's not hard to control the media. And I believe that Bill Gates is doing that right now. Um, you know, his total assets are $133 billion, I last heard. And he gives millions to every, to many, many, I won't say every, but many, many major outlets, including The Guardian, the BBC, Johns Hopkins University, um, the New York Times, the Washington Post. He has arrangements with them that involve him giving them money, millions and millions of dollars. And this might be one reason why we don't see criticism of Bill Gates, for example. When you have that amount of money and you can con- you can control the narrative, um, you kind of make your own gravity. And that that's really what we're up against now, I think. Um, the... The, the control of the the control of the major media that is still has a large portion of the population in its thrall. Right, and it, what bugs me too is how quickly major corporations and the like are so willing to jump when the media tells them to. You know, when they jerk their chain, they just react, and so it's like people have to. They don't have to comply, but they're really pressured to because everything around them is sort of forcing them to various different issues happening now and of course issues like September 11th I mean if some CEO or some uh, famous person wants to make comments about it the whole system will converge on them I remember there was a football player who had made some comments uh, back in 2011 or something and you could just see every single sports column going after him because he questioned how the buildings came down on September 11th. It's absolutely disgusting and it's obviously coordinated and, uh, and you know that's kind of par for the course for us but you can see the kind of pressure that people are under. But we gotta reach them. Now, I mean, there's been some things that I've been thinking about, and maybe I should do a presentation on this, but I'm gonna get one of those uh, projectors that go on your iPhone, and you put it on your phone, and you can project the image of the video onto a wall or something. I think that'd be a great tool for 9-11 Truth out there, showing Building 7 going down. Uh, I know you said you were involved with the DC group. Talk about some of the stuff that you guys did in that group to help reach the public one of the most fun things we did well probably definitely the most fun thing we did that we did for believe 10 years and we can't do it anymore but um let's see we stopped i think it went um we stopped two years ago so um we did it from 2009 to 2019 and that was we had a float in a parade the tacoma park parade and we decorated it with all kinds of um, sayings like um, truth is patriotic and you know it's for fourth of july so we had red white and blue uh... but our whole uh, approach was that the truth is patriotic and i rode on the back of that float with a bullhorn and i delivered truth nuggets to the crowd as we drove around and just had taken a bunch of short bite-sized pieces of information that I think I could say fast enough that everybody could get the full story before the the float had ambled past um and we sometimes got angry responses had a beer can thrown at me once and uh, but we also got cheers and and thumbs up and some people you know high fives and some people really appreciated it it was it was a it was an exciting way to try to get information out to thousands of people at one time and we didn't have just the float we also had people marching and carrying banners and we sometimes had um um 
uh, people playing instruments of various kinds, depending on who was involved. We had um, uh, a guy on a flute and uh, drums and... um, you know, we just we we're just trying to make as big as an impression we can. Unfortunately, in a parade like that, everyone's trying to make a big impression, and usually by making a lot of noise. And we had, I think, uh, somebody working against us uh, in the parade coordination office because they seemed to like to to put us in between uh, bands that had just unbelievably loud instruments, um, which. They seemed like they were doing their best to drown us out. The very last time we did it, we were, the whole time we were in line to getting ready to leave for the parade, we were followed by the Tacoma Park Garden Club, which looked like a quiet group of ladies who were dressed as flowers. And then as we all pulled out, a bunch of motorcycles pulled in between us and the Garden Club, and we were followed the entire time by a motorcycle group that were gunning their engines the entire time, kind of drowning us out. So... So yeah, we got a little bit of pushback that way, but uh, we'd all then go to a member's house and and have a Fourth of July picnic, and it was it was another great bonding experience for us, which is something we really miss now with these you know the the COVID world that we live in, where we're mainly just doing Zoom calls to talk to each other, and we're not having those in person experiences that we used to have that I I do think are important for people to really to really you know, develop strong relationships and get to really trust each other. Yeah, and feel normal again. I mean, just going out to the supermarket to get steak fries feels like a deep-sea dive, and you never know if you're going to get harassed for whatever out there. Um, it's really changed the society. And, I mean, you can go back to 2018, 2019, pre-night 2019, everything was perfect. And it really wasn't perfect, but at least you could go to the movies without somebody taking your temperature, you know, or have to wear a diaper on your face. I think we need to get back to that. 9-11, though, uh, obviously it's our main focus. We have a 9-11 truth movement that has been working actively to get a new investigation for those people who died. It's now almost 20 years later. Where do you think we stand with regard to public knowledge of this issue and public tolerance of it? Meaning in terms of like how many people you think may have this in the back of their mind moving forward and aren't as passionately vicious when confronted with the information as they used to be. I mean, are they still in your view, or do you think that's changed? I think more people know than let on. I think that a lot of people have got to have figured it out by now, but they're just keeping quiet because they don't want to um, experience the, um, you know, the blowback that we've experienced. They don't want to uh, be argued with. They don't want to be dissed. They don't want to have to... Um, they don't, and maybe they're just too cowardly to take a stand for an unpopular opinion. But I, I tend to think that more people know than, than really are are doing anything about it. I, I have had some friends who I, I've explained it to them, and they said things like, well, I wouldn't doubt it. And, and the feeling was, yeah, well, it may be so, but I'm not going to do anything about it, and it doesn't affect me. So, and, uh, you know, and it's probably like that with almost every political event that it's going to be a very small percentage who really do care and make the effort um and who can change things for for everyone else but um it's hard for me to see how people can continue to can continue to believe the official story after all these years um for one thing it, it I'm wondering how they treat it in history books I did ask um one of my 
nephews how it was being treated when he was in high school. And, yeah, they they were completely telling them the official story. This was just a couple years ago. Uh, But how can they really justify it? I would imagine there must be so many questions, such as questions about, well, if that building could collapse like that because of fire, aren't we in danger in any other building we might be in? How do we know if I'm in a high-rise that's not going to just get on fire and collapse within minutes? Um, was that were building codes changed in New York because of that? That that Nova documentary that I saw um, made the case that the buildings were not properly constructed, and and of course, if that were the case, you'd say, well, wouldn't people have been sued then, such as the architects and the um, the, the construction company who somehow put together a shoddy building that then collapsed, killing thousands of people, and yet and yet. Of course, none of that happened. So I can't imagine how, you know, the whole story just doesn't hang together. It seems like it would be hard to really um, push, put that forward straight-faced in a history class where you have smart young kids who are going to ask you questions like that. It's been years since I was in high school. I mean, I went to high school in the 90s. They probably don't spend a lot of time on it if it's still the same kind of curriculum. Because I remember when I went to high school, it was like you spend all this disproportionate amount of time on stuff like the Civil War and Eli Whitney and the cotton gin and all this stuff. And then by the time you get to World War II, they go through that, and then the last 50 years of history just kind of blown through. It's like, oh, we had a Vietnam War and then the Gulf War and uh, Reagan did something and... You know, the end. So, like, they probably are having the same issue with 9-11, so they probably just have the kids regurgitate the official story. The kids who probably don't even want to do the work have no problem just doing that, repeating it on whatever end-of-the-week test question they have, and then just move on. And I bet you that any kids who are interested in this and ask these questions are browbeat and bullied into silence by teachers who hold all the cards because they control their grades. And school districts seem to love their power now in enforcing it on these poor kids. So that's the situation that I would imagine if that's not what's going on, then somebody correct me, but I want to hear from somebody who's actually got experience out there in the schools and not just some debunker nibbling at the sides here. So Sheila, we're in our last three minutes. Do you have any final words for our audience that you'd like to impart? I would I would encourage people to be brave. Speak up to your neighbors. Speak up to sales clerks that you come into contact with. Point things out that don't make sense to people. Um, I think people need to feel that they're not alone in their questions. And I bet a lot of people do have questions. Sometimes it may take just knowing that there's one other person who also has questions to make that person um, give them the courage to to move forward and not believe that they're the only one wondering about why things just don't seem to make sense. You know, you think about the story of the emperor's new clothes. You know, where the the emperor is parading naked and everyone's telling him that he has a, a magnificent new set of clothes on, and it took a little boy to say, "But the man is naked," and and he was, and everyone else was pretending that. Going along with it, they didn't want to pretend. They didn't want to let on that he was actually naked when he'd been told that he had new clothes, grand new clothes, but that you had to have a certain amount of, I believe it was, uh, moral fiber to be able to see the clothes. So of course he wasn't con- going to confess that he couldn't see the clothes he was given. And you know, I think just don't don't underestimate the power of your own. The, the power that one person can have, speaking to your family, speaking to your neighbors, 
of course we have to maintain relationships and not annoy the hell out of people, but I'm I really believe that we we're heading in a terrible direction on this planet unless things change and unless we can get on a more truthful footing and it's it's worth putting ourselves out there to make that happen. That's right. Be real too and uh turn your TV off, be a cord cutter. Get your info from the internet. And you'll end a lot of these things right in their tracks. Sheila Casey, thank you so much for the work you've done and you're doing right now on 9-11 and other things. And uh, thank you for coming on 9-11 Freefall today. Thank you, Andy. This program is on every Thursday night on No Lies Radio at 10 o'clock Eastern, 7 o'clock Pacific, and every other Sunday night on BBS Radio at 8 o'clock Eastern, 5 o'clock Pacific. You can also keep track of the archives by going to 911freefall.com. Zanny Steele, say have a great week. Good luck.